Where have you been? There are various ways to ask that question, each of which puts a new, shall I say, emphasis on a different syllable. The last episode of this grassroots podcast went up on May 31st. That's about when three events converged on me, only one of which had been long in the works. Let me tackle that one first. Hip replacement number two took place on August the 16th. My surgeon, who'd successfully fixed the left hip in February, put me on a hurry-up-and-wait list in May. I told him I taught hockey and needed to be as close to mobile as I could get for September. This was another summer of COVID, of course, so there was no way of knowing when a surgery could be scheduled. Evidently, there were people in far worse shape than me. Still, it was on my mind as walking more than 10 minutes was painful. The call in June for an August surgery was met with silent but effusive applause. However, as the 2020-21 minor hockey season sort of drifted into a COVID cloud, I found myself with a bit of time to ponder. That's when a buddy in Ottawa, his name is Luch, as in Luciano, told me about his second novel and I offered to give it a read. Next thing I knew, I was into a full-scale edit of his book, all 220,000 words. His first novel came out some years ago when I was still in Ottawa. It was a damn fine story and beautifully written, yet one that suffered from lousy marketing from his publisher. It deserved a much better life. This new one was a veritable tome, but again, a wonderful read. I launched myself into that edit throughout the summer. At the same time, he asked me about a novel I'd co-written with a former teaching colleague 25 years ago. It really wasn't very good, and we buried it. That colleague, Ted, is now a school principal in South Korea and completing his PhD in English. Luch said he'd like to read it, so I sent it to him. Over the next few months, aside from a few days when post-surgery was uncomfortable, variations of two novels, one by Luch and one by my colleague Ted and me, flew across the web with edits of edits of edits. Storylines got fixed, details, plot lines, and characters tweaked typos repaired. Then it was September and hockey suddenly began. This podcast, always in the shadows, just hung around. That's where I've been. And yes, this is Grassroots, the minor hockey show podcast. I'm Richard Berkison. More importantly though, than where I've been, where am I going? I've listened to a great many podcasts and, what with COVID's restrictions, have been stuck watching video clinics and presentations. All interesting, all worth my time, all containing nuggets I could apply or steal. Nevertheless, this grassroots thing remains the one and only podcast that is specifically about minor hockey and for minor hockey people. That's my plug. It ain't changing. Over future episodes, you'll hear from a new part-time co-host, a fellow with a similar bent to mine, on what coaching is about and how to improve it. Hint, you've heard him on this podcast a few times before. When I began Grassroots as COVID came upon us in March of 2020, I said I had questions, lots of questions. Those questions have created even more, especially in light of the pandemic's restrictions on gatherings and live seminars and whatnot. Here, then, is a sampling of what some of the topics are going to be. This past August, 
with coaches needing Hockey Canada certification. It was announced there'd be no in-person clinics delivered in the Ontario Minor Hockey Association, where I am one of the clinic instructors. Zoom would soon become the mainstay platform. Clinic delivery would be essentially in two modes, recorded on demand, sort of like a Netflix miniseries minus the plot and interesting characters. You sit in front of the screen and watch a recording of someone talking about content. Because it's pre-recorded, everyone everywhere is guaranteed to get the same message. Nearly all of the coaches I've spoken with about this approach have said they've left the room or multitasked on something else while the recorded yakety-yak took place. It's hardly what we want our coaches to do when trying to educate them, but that's the reality of what we're living in. The other mode is online live, the platform where the instructor and coaches do the Zoom thing. I was told there might be as many as 100 on a call. Turned out that didn't happen. Attendance tended to be around 30 to 40. Any larger number than that would make it truly unwieldy as a bunch of us discovered during a September run-through. The Development One Coach Clinic would remain fairly close to its original length of about 16 hours. No ice sessions, of course. No really meaningful human interaction. Awkward group work. But it's the best we could offer under the circumstances. Then came a massive hanging curveball. I use the baseball analogy because I can't think of a decent one for hockey. A flutter puck shot, perhaps? The Ontario Women's Hockey Association, which, like the OMHA is a member partner of the Ontario Hockey Federation, began in late September to offer that same Development One clinic in the Zoom format in only nine hours. Nine hours. Whereas the OMHA uses a weekend format for a 16-hour clinic, the OWHA somehow chopped it down to three nights at three hours apiece. I have no idea how they got away with that. I know a few coaches who took that course, and none was impressed, especially the part where a video pretty much restated what had already been taught. My point? In the OWHA, we're sending mostly new coaches into the breach with barely half the content coaches on the boys' side are getting. How on earth is that improving coaching in Ontario female hockey? I don't understand. If you're a relatively new minor hockey coach, at either house league or competitive levels, what do you really need to know? I'm not referring to graduates of the U7 program, what was once the initiation program. That's more instructing and guiding little kids using discovery learning approaches. I'm talking about coaching. And what if you're tackling a rep or competitive level team for the first time? It's not hard to be overwhelmed by parents' expectations, administration, planning, and all that other stuff. How can we best help the newbies. Next up, the nature of addiction. The hockey world, and especially the minor hockey world, suffers from an addiction to drills. It's the first thing coaches ask for. They don't wonder about the guiding principles of play, how to teach, when to teach, how to give feedback, and all those wonderful so-called soft skills. They want drills. They want to use toys on the ice like pylons and plastic mini stick stands and haul it out two by fours so the kids can follow patterns. As if by following these patterns, they will be better. And the influences 
to enhance and support the addiction are everywhere, from software to books to videos to seminars. Coaches with some experience take pride in proclaiming they still have their drills from 10 years ago. But why? Culture. Seattle Seahawks football coach Pete Carroll says culture is everything. On that point, two fellows out my way are cobbling together a package for a course on how to create a high-performance culture. Mind you, many of the elements, most of the elements they discuss, can be applied to non-elite environments. This is a field well worth looking at, even for those in relatively small-scale minor hockey worlds. What the heck is technical or tactical triage? The question I posed to a coach once was this. How do you approach technical or tactical issues? In other words, do you do a triage of the issues? The answer? A blank stare. All right, we need to have a look at that then, don't we? One of the most challenging aspects of teaching this game to kids or teens is getting them to use or find space. It won't happen in one season. Even with older, more accomplished players, it's practically an art form unto itself. We should investigate that more. Why? Because the topic of critical thinking and decision-making is based on a player's ability or a group of players' abilities to find space. Next, the room. It is quite possible, even likely, that we who coach have rather inflated opinions of the impact our words have on players. Yes, of course words mean something, but we far too often forget the what, the how, the when, and most importantly the why we address kids in the room. How often do minor hockey coaches enter the dressing room immediately after a period or game and launch into analytical summaries or berate kids for a poor performance or just yak? What should we say, and when? Every one of my own hockey travels has exposed me to a fascinating array of creativity, coaching styles, and so-called programs. I say so-called because it seems the definition of a program is open to interpretation. Although minor hockey in Canada is largely based on where you live, It's really hard to find a place where a true club development system exists, from the youngest to the oldest participants. Why is that? Should it even be something to consider? Why doesn't every minor association have a comprehensive development program and curricula, along with regular coach mentoring? So there you have it. I've touched on a bunch of topics that I'm going to be looking at this coming season along with a few more and special guests, and, as I said, the special part-time co-host who's going to be joining me on Grassroots. So check back soon for the next episode of Grassroots, the Minor Hockey Show, where we will tackle as many of the issues in minor hockey as we can possibly do and probably solve them all. Thanks for listening. This is Richard Berkeson. Until next time. Mm